0: That last song we just sang speaks of our obedience to to God and that will lead to a life that is holy before Him until He comes again or takes us to be with Him. And it's so important that we are obedient to His Word. And so before we even come to the reading of God's Word this morning, I want you to look in your sermon notes that we had handed out to you. There's one question there, right at the top. And I want you to, if you've got a pen... Or in your mind, put a circle around one of those two answers. Am I willing to be obedient to God's truth? Am I willing to submit to it? Yes or no? There's no maybe. There's only yes or no. Because that will set the attitude for listening to what God has to say to us. imperative. As we come to God's Word this morning, we are busy going through the book of 1 Peter, the letter written to these early believers who were running for their lives and trying to make sense of their lives as they were being persecuted for their faith and hunted down. And at the end of chapter 2, we've been speaking about submission. God calls us to submit to all kinds of institutions, but firstly to God Himself. And then He lays out in life, what does that look like? What does submission to God look like in practice in our lives? And He starts spelling out what that must look like. He speaks about submitting and loving the brotherhood, our fellow believers. He speaks about fearing God, honoring the King. Submitting to human institutions. And now we come to another institution which God has put there for us. And He says to us, submit inside that institution as well. And that is the whole of family life. But you know, the question has to come to us today as we listen to God's Word. And men, I want you to listen really carefully too, because this isn't just for women, by the way. These principles apply to you and I as men as well. Because as we hear God's word applied to the ladies specifically for the first part of it, we come to general principles that come to us. And also, I mean, it gives us some idea of what God is wanting from the ladies. And we can help them in that. That is why we need to know as well. It helps us in our interaction. It helps us in our support of our wives. It helps us in our support of ladies who are in our lives, whether they're our wives or friends. It helps us in that because we understand what God's Word says. You know, today our values are changing so fast and I want you to just put up that first slide for me over there, please. Our values have changed so fast. The next one. This doesn't kind of apply anymore, does it? I hope it doesn't. I think you'd get in real trouble if you ran that as an ad on TV today, okay? comes from the mid-50s, 60s. And then the next slide speaks about our standards. Where do you and I get our standards for marriage from? Do we get them from these invaluable sources of wisdom? Do you get your standards for living from Hollywood? And it's a real question to us as believers. You go and look in your home, what you've got lying around, what your kids look look at, what your daughters are looking at, what your um, boys are looking at in the home. Do you get your standards of living for marriage from Hollywood or from heaven is the question we need to be asking ourselves this morning. Do you get them from New Idea or from Oprah? Do you get your ideas from the magazines around us, from TV commercials, from the soapies, and from society in general? Or does God's word still play an active role in your family life and for setting the standards for life in your family? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning because the world is slipping into our families as well. We are the church if we're Christian believers. But the world is coming into our families and it's getting in there by stealth and we are the doors that open and shut for our families. We need to make sure that what is coming into our homes is God glorifying. And so, as we, if we are, as believers are to maintain this exemplary testimony before the unbelieving world, which has been our theme at the whole of chapter 2, then we must live blamelessly in these four God-ordained arenas of social interaction we've been looking at. We've looked at two of them in the first place. At society, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. We've looked at how to submit to God and be an influence in the world, in the workplace. We've been looking at that up to now. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. This morning we start on the family. What does that look like in the family, submitting to God? What does that look like in our families? Chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And then what does it look like in the church when he speaks about all of you? Chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. And we'll be looking at that in the near future. But let's just read God's word this morning to us, chapter 3 of 1 Peter and the first seven verses. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, and wearing gold jewellery, or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. Verse 7, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Right back in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God set the parameters for the home. And He gave them the example and said, Now I want you to submit to my model for holy living in the home. God put together a specific authority structure in the home so that the home would function effectively before Him. In this text we're going to look at this morning, verses 1 to 6. Is not just speaking about a Christian woman. It's not just speaking. Sorry, let me start that again. This text is not speaking about a Christian woman marrying a non Christian. I need to state that right at the beginning. We're not speaking about getting married to an unbeliever and then thinking, I'm going to convert him, alright? That's not what it's talking about here. It's speaking about a man and wife who were who are not believers, and then the wife comes to faith. Now, what does she do? She's in this relationship with a husband who's not a believer. That te- this text is specifically addressing that in the first part of it. You see, in this early part that Peter is writing to, these believers who were being chased around for their faith, many unbelievers, because of believers uh, living amongst them, came to saving faith. And, and the wife didn't know how to live the Christian faith. And so she was asking herself, so how do I do this? can I still stay married to my husband because I'm now a believer? Or do I have to go my own way? Do I have to try and lure him to Christ? These were some of the questions coming up and we see that because of the specifics that he addresses. And so he gives these principles to a believing wife with an unbelieving husband in the home. How much more applicable are these things when we have a husband and wife who are both believers. Here he's speaking to a difficult situation, but how about when both are believers? We should be really looking at these principles as well and seeing what God is saying to us, you know, because in the Christian church today there are so many murmurs and grumbles and there's so much disobedience when it comes to this specific aspect that it's not being, bringing God glory at all. And that is why we really need to stop and address it this morning. And so we start looking at our text, six verses to the wife and one to the husband. And immediately critics have said, that just shows a male bias in the Bible. Why spend six verses on the wife and only give the husband one? That's just not fair. But you see, Peter is addressing a specific situation in the early church. Because in the early Roman times, it was very, very difficult for a woman when she became a believer and her husband was an unbeliever. Because in the Roman times, women were really seen as inferior. And they were handled like that in society as well. You see, a woman in the home received little or no respect from her husband. There were good husbands around, but in general, the attitude towards wives was not good. No respect. She was little higher than the slave in the house. A father had life and death authority over his daughter in the home until she got married. And then he handed over that authority to her husband. And he then had life and death authority over his wife. Women were mere servants in the home. They had to stay at home and obey their husbands. And when the wife became a Christian, this brought a crisis into the home because the husband was embarrassed and ashamed by his wife going off on her own and taking on a whole new faith without his permission and without him doing it because he was in charge of his home. And so this was a very specific situation that the Apostle firstly addresses in the early church. And as a result of these women becoming believers, a lot of these husbands, the unbelieving ones, were really becoming stiff-necked and obstinate and rebellious against believers and against Christians. And so they were taking it out on their wives. And so the Apostle addresses this. There's a second comment I want to make in introduction to this, just to set the framework around this passage. And that is that the Bible really clearly states elsewhere, if you, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 7 verses 14 to 15, just glance over those verses. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 14 to 15, it really speaks clearly about the relationship between an unbeliever and a believer when it comes to staying together and the whole topic of divorce. And the Bible is really clear in those passages where it says that it's the unbeliever's option to opt out of a marriage. Not a believer ever. The believer stays in that marriage because God has ordained marriage. That is really important to note. Okay, I'm not going to go into that today because we're not talking about divorce. That will come up at a later stage. A third element that I just want to quickly speak about is that before God, men and women are equal. We are spiritually equal before him. Galatians three verses twenty seven to twenty eight speaks about being one in Christ. Before Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither free or bond servant, we are one in Christ. That is before him spiritually. But the Bible speaks about specific obligations that rest on men and women, and that's a whole different issue. And that's what we're going to be speaking about a little bit this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33, the passage we read earlier today spoke about that. Our specific obligations before the Lord, responsibilities that He'll hold us responsible for. And then the last comment before we get into this text is this. If you don't get this issue right in your marriage, you're not going to have wedlock. You're going to have deadlock. And that's why I named the sermon this today. If you don't get this right in your marriage relationship, you are always going to have conflict. Because Satan has designed this lie this way, so that it will bring conflict into your marriage. So let's go and have a look at what God says to us in His wisdom today. We've already sung here, Lord submit me to your word. Let's go and look at what God says. Verses 1 and 2 of this text. He starts with the same phrase, in the same way, you wives. So what's he speaking about here? What have we been speaking about previously? He's been speaking about submitting to authorities that God has put in place. So we are doing it firstly to God. And he says now, wives, in the same way, put God first in your marriage. Submit to him first and to your husband. And you are submitting to God first by submitting to your husband in his role as husband in the family. And the same word hypotasso is used, following the example of Christ. Imitate Christ, says God's word. Submit to God first. Submit to your husbands and show God that you are submitted to Him. And this word, submit to your own husbands, doesn't mean it's a moral or an intellectual or a spiritual inferiority to your husband. We need to make that straight today. It means submitting to your husband in his role as head of the family. It's only in the work, it's only in the family that this applies. It doesn't mean that you've got to submit yourself in the workplace to other men. That's not what it's saying. And listen to everything they're saying. No, you submit to other people, yes, but giving God glory. But this doesn't mean submit to, if a man, man tells you something at work, you must listen to him because he's a man. No, it only applies in the family situation and in the church later. We'll come to that in the authority structures of the church. It doesn't mean that in general society, women have to submit to all men in general. It says here very specifically, submit to your own husband. Your own husband. You see, the husband has a role to play in leadership before the Lord. And that is what God is calling us to. It's what God has decided. It's His wisdom for us. It doesn't mean that you put the husband in the place of Christ either. We need to clear that up too. There is only one love in your life, and that is Christ. God has put you on this earth with your husband, and yes, you are to love him, but not more than Christ. Christ comes first. He is above all human relationships. Please get that in your um, thinking too. It doesn't mean that you need to give up independent thought, ladies. and to be, You need to be responsive to God's word yourself. You can ask your husband what he thinks about this passage that you're reading, but initially be responsive to God's word in your heart first. You don't have to give up independent thought. You don't have to give up your efforts to influence and to guide your husband when, he, when it comes to decision-making in the home and final decision-making before the Lord. You don't need to not be an influence there. That, doesn't, that isn't what it means to submit. You are there as a helpmeet to your husband. You are there to help him when it looks like he might be going off track in what he's thinking. Because that's why God puts us together as couples, isn't he? I know from experience. Sometimes I get into my head and there it goes, good idea. And I'm not listening to anything else, but I've got a really good wife who comes in strongly next to me and says, but have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? And she is there to guide me. That's what it's there for. But in the end, I'm responsible before the Lord. Submitting to your husband doesn't mean that you've got to give in to every demand of your husband. You've also got a conscience, and your conscience is firstly responsible to the Lord. And I'll be speaking about that as well. It doesn't mean that submitting to your husband, you are of a lesser intelligence or a lesser competence. Again, I'll come to my good wife, and she's here today, so she can put up her hand when she's had enough. But when it comes to accounts and bookkeeping, I very readily put up my hand and say that's Alice's I That's just not me. I'm not wired that way. And she is much more competent when it comes to that. God brings us as men and women together with strengths. We've each got strengths before Him. And He wants us to use those strengths for His glory. Together we need to do that. And then lastly... Being submitted to your husband doesn't mean that you need to be fearful and timid and put on this little mouse face all the time. That's not what being submitted means at all. Okay? There's one main reason that, that, the, that the Bible gives here for being submissive. What is that? You can pick it up in verse 1 and 2. See if you can spot it. What is the major reason for submitting in Scripture? It says, So that... You would win them over by your behavior. In other words, it starts with an E. It's evangelism. The major reason for wives submitting to their husbands biblically is for evangelism purposes, not just to our husband, but to the world who is watching us as Christian families. Really important that the world can also see this role in us. You see, Scripture speaks about this. It says, um, halfway through verse 1, it says, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the, to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of, of their wives. You see, what Peter speaking about here is he's speaking about these unbelieving husbands that are deliberately being disobedient and being rebellious towards the word of God. Whether they've heard it and understand it, or whether they haven't heard it, they are being rebellious or stiff-necked. They are being disobedient to the word, he's saying. And so he says, you need to live such a life in front of him that without a word, without you even opening your mouth, your life speaks out, submission to God first. And your husband sees that and he takes note of that and it speaks of God's glory first. That is what the apostle is saying here. In other words, to cut it short, he's saying, stop talking about it and live the Christian life before your husband whether he's believing or unbelieving, live the Christian life before him. Chapter 2, verse 12. Just glance back at it. spoke about that. It says, Without a word, we are to live this life in front of the Gentiles. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, here it is, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God. Same principle being used here. Ladies, ladies, The Bible calls us, not us, the Bible calls you to live these lives before Him. Lives that are submitted to Him first, so that your life will speak out loudly to your husband. And then, ladies, it's a matter of trusting God to do the rest. His word and His wisdom says, Live in this way and leave the rest to me. Because who is it that saves in the end? It's not us and our words. It is God who does it through his spirit. And you know, there's been ladies around, for all good intentions, they try and win their husbands in the following way. They put religious radio programs on, real loud in the house, so their husbands can't help but hear it. Okay? That's one way people have tried to win their husbands. But you know what happens? Your husband might just get tired of that and get out of the house and spend more time with his friends. And then you've lost that opportunity. So that is not the way to go about it, ladies. Turn Radio Rima down, alright? But the Bible here calls us, it says, as they observe your life. That's what it's saying. As in the words here, as they behold, or as they view attentively your life. You see, ladies, your husbands will be watching you. He'll be watching you because you're a Christian now. And he isn't. And he knows there's something he, hasn't had, he doesn't have. Even if he's rebellious in his heart against it, he will watch you like a hawk. And he will see the way you react towards him. He will see that the way you make food, the way you look after the children, he will note that. And it will either speak to him about God's glory or it will speak to him about selfishness in you. And you see, your, your life can preach a silent sermon to your husband. Because it's the power of the gospel which is working through your life which is going to speak to him. And yes, we know that this, that people can only come to the, the saving faith if they hear the gospel of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is important. Some or other time, the gospel message is going to have to be preached and spoken and taught. And that is what brings your husband to salvation. But the Bible says that your life firstly speaks and opens up that gateway so that the gospel can be spoken in. And so the urging from Scripture here this morning is use every opportunity to live the gospel in front of your husband. He sees you. He doesn't see the gospel. He hears what you say. He doesn't hear the gospel words initially. That is what Scripture is calling us. Why? He's going to observe your conduct. And what is the conduct that Scripture is calling us here? It says, as they observe your chaste and your respectful behavior, The word for chaste here is so that a finger can't be pointed at you. And the word for respectful is the same word phobos used to describe the word to honour God. So live such lives that you show that you are honouring your husband because you're honouring God. And live such lives that a finger cannot be pointed at you. In the same way as we saw last week that a finger couldn't be pointed at the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do you see the standards we call to here? And then he goes on, verse 3, and this is going to get interesting, because um, we're getting to an area where I don't know much about, and that's fashion, alright? He starts speaking about, you see, what some of these ladies were trying to do is they thought that, because they didn't know anything about the Christian faith, they thought, that well, maybe if I dress in a specific way, I can seduce my husband into the kingdom, and so I will dress very beautifully and I'll put up all the makeup and everything I can so that I can draw my husband to follow me into the kingdom. And what he's trying to do here is correct that and say, look, it's not about outward, it's about inward. And so he describes what real modesty is in verses 3 to 6. And he says, let it not be merely outward beauty that you strive after. In other words, let the source of your beauty not be the outward. That's what he's saying. And then he comes down to the practicality. He says, your adornment must not be merely external. And this word adornment, when I read up this, this was really funny. Um, This word adornment is the word cosmos, which is the same word used for an ordered system. In other words, he's saying, when you clothe yourself, make yourself an ordered system. That's as opposed to chaos. You know that system that when you wake up in the morning? That's the word chaos. All right. He's saying, no, bring yourself into a state of being an ordered system. Your adornment must point to Christ too. So in your life, adorn yourself or clothe yourself to reflect who God has made you in character as a woman before him. You see, what he's doing here is not speaking out against jewellery. He's not speaking out against clothes and all kinds of other things here. That's not what it's about. He's not prohibiting these things. He's saying them." That's merely external. That isn't what should be important first in your life. You see, outward beauty is not to be a preoccupation, and that's where the crux comes in. It's not to take over all your time and all your energies to try and look beautiful, to win your husband to Christ, or just in general. You see, outward beauty makes no contribution to spiritual transformation at all. It only makes you look pretty. And so he's saying, even when it comes to braiding of hair, and I tell you now, I don't know much about this topic, all right? Braiding of hair. But the words used here, the phrase is, that was a bit loud, that laugh, okay? The phrase he uses here is, and this is really, I laughed when I read this, by the way, so I'm getting my own back now. He's saying when he talks about the braiding of hair, an elaborate gathering of the hair into knots. That's what the original says. When you do your hair, don't do it elaborately with a major gathering of knots. A bit like Marge Simpson. You see, the Roman woman, and Clement of Alexandria wrote about this in historic documents, Roman women loved doing their hair, and they made big, elaborate beehives. Alright? To go back into the past now. And this is what Clement of Alexandria wrote. Listen to his words. He said... The women do not even touch their own heads for fear of disturbing their hair. And sleep comes to them with terror, lest they should unawares spoil their creations. Funny, isn't it? That's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. (laughs) So he's saying, don't spend all your time in front of the mirror doing your hair. Basic stuff here. Third thing he says, when it comes to wearing jewellery, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewellery, or putting on dresses. This wearing gold jewellery, the literal translation is to wrap it around yourself. Don't go wrapping all the stuff around you, ladies, is what he's saying. In other words, don't put on this gaudy display. You see, outward appearance so consumes this world today. It's in the media It's in the beauty contest that I had. They don't look at the inner beauty do they? Imagine if we had a beauty contest that looked at the inner. They only wore sackcloth, right? Like potato sacks. And as they came walking down the the walkway, the fairway, whatever it's called, I don't know what it's called, they'd come walking down and the person would say, and look at this new number here. What inner beauty she has. What spiritual insight. How she serves her husband. I don't think so. I don't think that's what's happening. You see, the world is besotted with beauty. You just look how many millions of dollars are spent each year by people trying to get themselves more beautiful. The Bible says to us, don't spend all your time on this stuff. Guys, I can see you smiling. There's a lot of men's stuff around here too. Watch out. Don't spend all your time on, with the putting on of dresses. And what he's speaking about here is the frequent changing of dresses, all right? As if you're in a show, that's what the original means here. So every five minutes you put on something new so that you can create this appearance. He's saying, don't spend all your time on this stuff, but be good stewards of your beauty, firstly, before the Lord. Don't make an idol of your beauty, says Scripture. Spend all your time and attention and money on what is important, not on these trivial matters which pass away anyway. And please, get me right this morning, I'm not preaching legalism. So, from this pulpit, I'm not saying, ladies, don't wear makeup, don't make up your hair. It'll be a real boring life if we had to go around seeing grey ladies all over the place, alright? It is beautiful to see beautifully made up ladies, okay? I'm saying that. <laughs> but don't depend on that. Don't depend on that and think it's going to bring you some spiritual advantage. It's not going to do that at all, says the Apostle. Alright. We'll get back on track. What does God think about? What does God think about this dressing up for show? Just turn with me, and this is quite a vivid picture, to Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, back in the Old Testament. Just go and look at this for interest. Isaiah chapter 3. I was getting worried that You guys were getting real quiet. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 3 verses 16 to 24. Just note what God is saying here to the woman in the Old Testament in the nation of Judah. And God says, you know, God doesn't change. He says that for us in Scripture over and over. He doesn't change. So his attitude towards this attitude that this woman are showing isn't going to change either. This is what he says, verse 16 of chapter 3. Moreover, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are proud... There it is, you see. And walk with heads held high and seductive eyes and go along with mincing steps and tinkle the bangles on their feet. Therefore, the Lord will afflict the scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs. Think of that one, okay? I said it was going to be fairly straight. And the Lord will make their foreheads bare. Get it? Like this. In that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets their headbands, their crescent ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festal robes, outer tunics, cloaks, money purses, hand... You women are complicated people. <laughs> Just put something on and wear it. Hand mirrors, undergarments, turments and veils. Okay, we got through there. Verse 24. Now it will come about that instead of sweet perfume, there will be putrefication, rottenness, okay? Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a donning of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty, burning of the flesh. Alright, do you see what he's saying here? God is saying, I hate pride in people, men or women. Men, are you listening? God hates pride in all of us. Pretentiousness. He's saying, look to the inner beauty first. Is he saying then, if we're not allowed to wear all these things, that we can just come dress up as we like? Slovenliness. No, the Bible's not saying have a bad hair day constantly either. He's saying to us, be proud of who you are, but your pride is to be in the Lord first. And we're going to be looking at the Proverbs 31 woman, very shortly, right at the end, as we come to the end of the section today. But let's just see what he says. He calls us to a certain standard, and now his language changes. He's saying, let it be, verse 4. And those words mean, this is now prescriptive. I've given you my advice, now I am commanding, I'm prescribing now. So what must we look like? What must this inward beauty look like? He's saying, this is what it must look like. You are not to be consumed with the outward, rather devoted to the inward beautifying, the hidden person of the heart, he says. It's the inward person that's important, he says. Turn with me, it's a bit of a tour through the Bible today. Turn with me if you would to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's just see what he says that looks like. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. This is the way we should be dressing the inward person of the heart. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9-10 to 10. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, and he's saying over-the-top stuff now, okay? Not those specific items. But rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. You see, it's who you are in the Lord that is important, he's saying to us over here. We are not to be consumed with the outward. And consumed means it takes all of my energies, I'm burnt up by it. I'm not to be consumed by this, but I'm rather to look at the imperishable or unfading beauty. That is what I'm to put on. You see, earthly beauty passes away. You just need to stand in front of the mirror, men and women, and you'll see the battle of the wrinkle. Okay? It's there every day. We can't help it. And it doesn't matter how much medication you apply and all kinds of treatments, it is going to come back at some stage. God says, look at the inward beauty. That is what is precious to the Lord. And the word used here is a specific word for jewel. That is what is a jewel to the Lord, is if you look at the inward beauty and put that on. And He uses this word imperishable, which we've met up with before. What was that word describing last time we met up with it? It was describing way back in chapter 1, verse 4. It was describing this inheritance which we'll get one day in heaven, which is being kept for us. It is an imperishable inheritance. Same word used in this passage. He's saying this is precious in the sight of God. You see, it's so opposite to what the world's telling us today, isn't it? The world is telling us, go after all these other things. God says to us, go after the inner beauty which I give to you. And then he gives an example from, from history and he mentions Sarah here obeying her husband. And, hu- and husbands, before you think your wife's going to call you Lord, this is not what it means, okay? What he's saying here is he's giving an example of a wife who was submitted to her husband and who put her husband in the place before the Lord and served him before the Lord first. And he says, if you copy her, then you will become like her. You will become children of Sarah. That is what he's calling us to. And he says, you will not have to fear anything. Specifically said here to these ladies in the early church. Why? Because when they came up and they said to their husbands, I've got this new faith, they very nearly knew that persecution was going to come against them as well. Because now her husband's status in the community was at stake. And he's saying to them, you honour God first and don't fear the consequences. Look to God and he will do what is right in your life. You do what is right, and God will do the rest. Trust in him. You see, these women had to submit this, themselves to this unsaved husband, and that led to sometimes terror. Because sometimes that could mean that the husband said, I want nothing more to do with you, I'm putting you out of my house. He could do that in, under Roman law. He could even have her sentenced to death if he arranged that by bribing judges. He could have his own wife sentenced to death. And many men did that to their wives because they would rather do that than lose faith in front of their peers. And the, the, the Apostle's calling his woman, he says, do what is right before God and trust God for your life. What is at stake here, you see? It's not our safety as men and women who are believers. It is God's glory first that God is concerned about. And so he gets right back to this original theme of submission, And so to sum this up, I've got a little table I want to put up before you. And it just gives very quickly a, a, a quick comparison between glamour and true beauty as the Bible describes it. Just have a look at that a little bit. You see, glamour is artificial and external and people spend millions on Botox and all kinds of stuff. But true beauty is real and it is internal and it is influential. People see real beauty glamour can be put on and taken off ladies you know how that works you can take it off at night and in the morning you really quickly put it on again when you see yourself in the, no, when you see yourself in the mirror all right you can take off these things and put them on but real beauty is always present it doesn't matter if you wake up in the morning beauty is still in you if it's an in internal beauty glamour is corruptible it decays and fades i've spoken about it at great length already i'm not going to again but real beauty Internal beauty grows more wonderful with time. And you know you can have the oldest, most wrinkled lady and she can be the most beautiful person that you've ever met because it shines out of her. It's a beautiful characteristic of a personality that shines out. And then glamour is very extremely pricey and you'll know that too. I've got a daughter who's into that and she's here so I can say that. And true beauty... It's not pricey, it's valuable. There's a difference here. You see, true beauty must come from the heart, said someone, not from the store. And so, in summary this morning as we finish, what what is the apostle saying here? He's saying to us, ladies and women, be beautiful without detracting from Christ's beauty in you. You see, your beauty mustn't be something that people see first. They must see Christ's beauty coming out of you. And if you're beautiful as well, that is an added bonus. But shine out Christ's beauty first. And men, this applies to you too. Even the ugliest one of you here, and I'm speaking about myself. We are to be beautiful before the Lord first. We are to shine out the beauty of Christ through the way that we interact with the world first. That is what's important. Now, turn with me, if you would, please, to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. What is a beautiful woman to look like? Let's give you an, an example that you can look up to. Proverbs 31. And yes, I know it's in the Old Testament, but it still applies because these are general tenets that God gives to us. He says, look at this woman. This is the one that I see. And ladies, you'll see this lady that we're going to speak about here. She isn't this mousy type woman that's been, that I've talked about earlier. This is a woman who is in charge. She knows where she's going in life, but she's doing it God's way. Let's see what that looks like. Proverbs 31. I'm going to stop here and then just talk about it. You see, an excellent wife, who can find, verse 10 of chapter 31, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. You see, husband, there's something in this for us too. Okay? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, look what, what is she like? Look at her. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Now, ladies, please, translate this into the modern era, alright? You don't have to go hunting wool and flax now. But look at what this woman does. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. You see, here's a hard-working woman in evidence and portions to her maiden. She's a good manager in her own home. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Here's a businesswoman working as well. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms Strong. She looks after herself physically as well. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's even having an influence into the community. I've seen evidence of that this week. All right? A woman working really hard having an influence in the community. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. You don't have to worry about that one here in Whanganui. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now, in those days, written, scarlet was the most expensive material you could buy. So she's really looking after her family. They are not dressed in sackcloth. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She wears the best. You don't have to go in drabs. When he's, Her husband is known in the gates... Why? Because of his wife. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Now look at this verse, verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Do you see? That's the important part. And she smiles at the future. I love that verse. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now I must say, ladies, here's one bit of weakness that one often sees evidenced, alright? And we need to acknowledge these things. That sometimes words that come out can be babble, not always wisdom. And I I speak especially to teenagers here. Teenage girls, I've taught among you, I know what it's like. You use those cell phones and it's a lot of babble. You need to be speaking wisdom. Count those words that come out. That's what Scripture's calling us to Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Now you say those words to your wife, husband, you'll get a fantastic meal, a roast, everything. Right? look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Let's say that again. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the, product, the produce of her hand, and let her works praise her in the gates. That's what we should be striving at. You see, here's encouragement to us. Those of you with unbelieving husbands, I want to give encouragement this morning. And there are quite a few of you in this church. Do God's work His way and look to Him to bring your husband to Him. Do God's work His way. Glorify Him first. Why? Because He is sovereign in your situation and He will glorify Himself through you in the end. And those of you who are unmarried women and girls, look at God's standard for godly and holy women. And Ask yourself, am I living up to the standard? And those of you with Christian husbands, I want to urge you, thank the Lord if he has brought your husband to faith. And if you're both believers, thank the Lord for his mercy and his grace in saving your husband. Pray for him daily. Support him. Get alongside him when you see he's starting to get wavy in the way that he's going in life. Get alongside him and submit to him, not just in thought, but in practice. Before the Lord, submit to your husband. Give God glory first. And I really want to urge you, don't believe Satan. Because Satan is going to bring attacks against you to to not believe any of what we've said here this morning. Someone's written a really good book. And Rosalie is here as well. If you want to get this book from me, it's really worth the investment, ladies. It's called Lies, Women, Believe. And I want to give you some of the examples here, and then I'm done for this morning. Listen to some of the examples of the lies that Satan puts between before you as women specifically. Listen to this. Maybe he said to you before, God's ways are too restrictive. What we've just heard here today is too restrictive. Rebel against it. Don't believe it. That's a lie from Satan. Second one. Maybe he said to you as ladies, I'm not worth anything. Maybe you've got this sense of worthlessness. You know, you spend your whole life chasing after kids, riding kids around in taxis. Then your husband gets home and it's meals to cook, clothes to wash. And you kind of feel, what's this all about? Am I worth anything? That's a lie from Satan. Third lie, I can't help the way I am. You know, really look at the way you dress. Look at the way you live your life. Don't give in to your bad habits and say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm going to live that way and my husband must adapt. Don't believe that lie from Satan. Here's another one that he brings up. I should not have to live with unfulfilled longings. You often hear that one coming out. Another one. A career outside the home is more valuable and fulfilling than being a wife and a mother. You often hear that one in the workplace. Yes, you can work, but your home comes first. Get that order of priority first. Here's another one. A lie from Satan. I have to have a husband to be happy. Ladies, you can serve God as a single woman and glorify Him and be beautiful in Him and shine out a glorifying life before Him too. You don't have to be married to do that. You can live a God-glorifying life as a single woman. Serve Him with all your energies, all your talents. Find a way of serving. Even if it's helping with another family, helping in the church, finding a family out there who needs help. Just serving others. Serve Christ first. You don't need to have a husband to be happy. Another lie. If I submit to my husband, I'll be miserable. Don't believe that lie from Satan. Another one. Sometimes divorce is a better option than staying in a bad marriage. Have you heard that one? I've heard that one. Three more. The answer to depression must first be sought in medication or psychotherapy. Ladies, first look for a spiritual cause. And then, yes, by all means, get help. But look for that spiritual cause first when you're not feeling that you can carry on anymore. Second last one. If my circumstances were different, I would be different. That's a lie. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on what God has done in here, doesn't it? And so we come to the truth this morning. When you get these lies put before you by Satan himself, counter them with the truth. Come against Satan with the truth from Scripture. And that's why we need to know God's Word. Come against them with God's Word and then he'll slink away in silence. Don't believe these lies because they will lead you away from a God-fulfilling life. They will lead you away from there and you will end up in a life of strife. And Satan will be the one rubbing his hands together. And then a question, ladies. If you're in a Christian marriage, what if my husband is not treating me me the way he should be? What do I do then? Well, the Bible's answer is love him anyway as you serve Christ first. Serve Christ first and love your husband even if he isn't treating you the way he should be. And if he persists in this way and He's not giving you the love you should be getting from Him as a Christian husband, then come next week and I'll give you that answer. (laughs) Alright? Because we're going to be looking at the way God speaks to the husband, and it really affects your life as a wife as well. It's the way your husband understands Scripture and is obedient to it. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, and I thank You for Your Word. It's not just words. Because Your Word gives us wisdom. The world gives us nonsense. It isn't wisdom. The world's wisdom changes with every year, or with every fashion. But Lord, Your wisdom stays constant. Your Word stays constant. You remain the same. And You've said, I've designed you, I've made you. Here is your manual for living, the Bible. Live by the manual. And I will help you in that. Lord, thank you for the wisdom from your word. And I pray that as people who want to be obedient to you, as we sung earlier this morning, help us to change our lives. And if we're in bad habits, and if we're living in disobedience before you, Lord, I pray that we would take your word seriously. And that we would submit ourselves to your word first. And that with your help, we would change our lives. And that we would see the fruit of it in our relationships in the home. Lord, as a church, I pray, may we be obedient to you first. And may we reap the fruits of it as we glorify you, we pray. Amen.